Welcome everyone to Marketing Management and Money. This is Ryan Murray, your host. And with us today, we have Randy Herbertson. He is the principal and brand strategist of the Visual Brand, which was founded back in 2013. Uh, Randy has got a couple decades of experience in branding, marketing, digital marketing, social media. He's really kind of covered quite an array, and so we're uh, we're excited to have him with us today. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to just kick it off with uh, Randy. Why don't you uh, why don't you give a little bit of your background, uh, kind of uh, let people know where your specialty is, talk a little bit about the visual brand, uh, your company that uh, that I, I believe you founded, and uh, and, and kind of just, just kick it off with that, if you don't mind. Sure thing, Ryan. It was great to be here. Uh, so uh, the visual brand is my actually my second independent company. I uh, started the first one in 2003, actually, um, and sold that poorly and started it over. <laughs> but uh, long, and long before COVID, I uh, decided to stop commuting to New York City and do it in Westport, Connecticut with a five-minute commute because, uh, you know, realizing even early on that uh, business today, even then in 2013, was more virtual and we could work with people anywhere in the world. Sure, so that's yeah. what we've done. So uh, the visual brand really, it's funny when you say specially, um, we actually pride ourselves on not necessarily being specialists in an industry, uh, for sure. We work with lots of different, um, both products and services kind of companies. And the, the common thread is we're usually working with somebody doing something new. Um, the word innovation is tossed around a lot. I kind of hate that word because I think it's overused. Sure. It's kind of like marketing. <laughs> what does innovation mean? Um, but it is about creating something new. So we work with large companies and actually with large companies, we'll tend to work with their innovation teams or somebody doing the new stuff. And then we do a lot of work with small and emerging firms as well. Mm-hmm. And you know, for small emerging firms, it, it tends to be more full service. You know, it's really common that um, a, a, an entrepreneur or a business owner will have a great idea or know how to do something really, really well just don't know how to do the rest of the package sure. all the way around it, you know, sure. understanding who they, um, what makes them unique, you know, who their audience really is, how to speak to their audience, that kind of thing. So we do a lot of work in that area. Um, we're actually, you know, kind of a right brain, left brain company. We have a very big, uh, creative practice here. Um, we're a, a relatively small team ourselves. We're 15, but we have uh, a full service, um, motion animation studio, 3D industrial design, um, environmental design, visual design, etc. And then our strategic part of our business is the part that we're focusing on, you know, building what we call brand foundations mm-hmm. for companies. So, yeah. And I actually, for, for myself, I uh, got the unusual combination degree out of University of Colorado Boulder uh, in graphic design and business. So I was right brain and left brain from the get go <laughs> and pretty much spent my career doing sort of new products and services. That's awesome. So I, uh, I, I, I want to kind of just, uh, jump back to, uh, your first company that you said that, uh, you know, you sounded like you, you got out of the gate, maybe on the wrong foot. Uh, this is pretty typical and this is why I want to talk about it because I work with a lot of entrepreneurs that they feel like, you know, their first rodeo, they're supposed to, you know, win the championship and that's not how it works. So, you know, kind of a little bit, what was that process? What did you learn from it? How did you bounce back and create the successful company that you have today? And what are some lessons learned that, you know, entrepreneurs who are kind of in that phase 
can pick up from what you did? It's a good question, Ryan. And actually, first company was very successful. You oh, know, okay. It was, um, it was actually three times as big as my current company uh, when I sold it. So you bucked um, the trend. Run. Yeah, had it for had it for about eight years. But what happened, which was already interesting, is that um, I near the end, I was just getting to the size that um, people were approaching us about you know, buying us or um, or merging. And I went through about a year long merger discussion that fell apart. And after that fell apart, I was sort of exhausted. And um, a guy swooped in and said, hey, I'll buy your company and I'm going to do all these things and da 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 da. And he had a, uh, a, a company around him. And I thought that was interesting. And of course, as often happens, it was a bad idea. And six months into it, I said, okay, this is no longer fun. And I didn't start a business to do this. So I left uh, with, with very little other than my portfolio. Um, and which was okay, because actually I felt really good about that. Uh, I spent a brief stint uh, working for another um, agency and um, decided quickly that you know, I didn't want to be working for somebody. I wanted to work for myself again. Sure. So that's when I decided to make my early move back to Connecticut uh, and, uh, and start my company over again. But I will tell you, though, absolutely in 2.0, as my new company is, uh, you do learn things. You know, you learn all sorts of things. And frankly, when I started it, the first one, there's certainly things I didn't know how to do. I certainly managed people. I've been president of an agency before and stuff like that. But uh, you learn things that you didn't know. Like um, I wasn't a finance guy. Never had to do that before. <laughs> uh, never considered myself a salesperson. And, you know, and when you run a business, of course, that is absolutely a role that you have. Uh-huh. Um, and and then also, frankly, learning to manage different kinds of processes and people. You know, one thing I learned, actually, my uh, team before had about nine developers on it, you know, um, tech people. Okay. And that's a group that um, I, I know enough about tech, but I certainly don't want enough. I can't do it. Mm-hmm. So managing that team was difficult. So because um, I couldn't tell if they were doing anything right or wrong, you know, because <laughs> I'm not a tech person that way. I mean, I can certainly see what it looks like at the front end. Anyway, so when I started my new company, I decided, you know what? We're now in the world of Squarespace and Wix and things that anything we need to do on a, a relatively basic level, we can do without a tech team. And if we need to hire a tech team, let's partner with them. And that's been really successful. And that's another good example. You know, as a small business, you decide what do we do and what do we not do? Because certain things that may be adjacent to what you do, you could do, but is it going to be too expensive? Is it going to be too hard? And you could be just as successful partnering um, and, and make success that way. So that's really interesting. One of the things that when I'm, uh, you know, getting in and working with a business, I always tell them, I'm like, you can outsource anything as long as it's not a core competency. You know, right. never outsource what you claim to do, you know, what sets you apart. But anything else, you know, if you're not a CFO, go ahead and outsource your finances. If you're not a web development company, go ahead and outsource all of that stuff. And, and you know, outsourcing has changed so much over the years, uh, over the brief, you know, few years where it used to be this whole idea of, oh, okay, I've got to meet with somebody and I've got to, you know, form this relationship. And I'm like, I've outsourced stuff with people that I don't know. I never had a relationship with them. They came in, they got what I needed done and we moved on and it was very successful, you know? And so that's, that, that, that's a great point that you're bringing up because it, it allows smaller businesses to be bigger businesses. 
Yeah. And I think it's funny thing you said, I actually do like um, forming relationships, longer term relationships where we can uh, with okay. people that we, uh, we partner with. In fact, we don't even call it outsourcing. We call it partnering. Uh, but again, sometimes those run their course, you know, that they, they, they'll, they'll be successful for a while and then it just either fades away or you, you find a new resource. But I, I, we tend to like to be loyal. It's funny. We have a little development team actually in India that uh, we've done lots of small stuff with for like seven years mm-hmm. and they still do small stuff for us. Not big stuff, but small stuff. And it's, it's been successful. But the, you know, the key to what you just said, though, is is really examining, you know, if you're outsourcing and you're trying to then use that as part of what you're selling to somebody, can you make money at it? Mm-hmm. And you have sometimes have to make a choice saying, you know, I can't make money on this piece. It's going to be a, a cost center uh, and not a profit center. And so that's a decision to make. The other thing too, and I agree with you on core competency, but there are occasions when you are at capacity, you know, sure. it's actually, it's a great thing to actually be able to say I'm at capacity. In fact, our motion team right now is, at capacity. We know what they're doing through the end of the year and beyond. So if, if new stuff comes in, we always figure out a way to do it, but it's a challenge. So sometimes you have to say, okay, I've got to supplement what we're doing and add on top of that. <clears throat> and as a result, you have to find a way to do that, that you can still make money at. And then when you said about, you know, core business elements, so for instance, we have outside finance people here because I am okay, but I absolutely need help. And right. so you know, we, we've got outside finance support and it's awesome because they take care of all that crap that I do not want to do. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. So one of the things that I really want to get into um, is you've got uh, a specialty and that is understanding uh, a company's creative DNA. And, uh, when, when I, when I saw that with what you guys do, that really piqued my interest because, uh, I like the idea of, of the DNA, like getting down to the, you know, the, the fundamentals, like what are the foundational building blocks uh, of, you know, what's happening here, but then merging that with the creative side. And as we've, you know, already kind of jumped into a little bit of the discussion here, I feel like that's coming out, you know, like I'll, I'll come up with an absolute and I'll be like, I never outsource a, you know, a core competency. And you're like, well, let's look at the creative side. I mean, maybe you want to expand your capacity and, uh, you know, on different things. And so I would love to hear, um, you know, what, what, what are you talking about when you say, you know, developing your culture of creative DNA and what does that look like? Um, and, and, and kind of, you know, t- take us down this road for a second. So it's actually there's it, when you talk about creative DNA, that's actually a sort of a separate thing that I'll explain here in a second. Okay, uh, it's sort of a um, a process that I kind of developed over the last twenty years. That came out of originally uh, an executive coaching series that I was allowed to do when I was part of the Omnicom net- Network. Okay, mm-hmm. sort of a up and rising, whatever, right? So uh, and that, although I will tell you the fundamentals of that, and I might as well get into that are something that I use every single day mm-hmm. in every single interview, anybody I meet, and absolutely something I try to work on with clients. And it's really how to understand how you think okay, okay. and how you process information. And so basically it's set up with sort of what I call two, two matrices. The first one is, are you a fast processor or a considered processor? So the fast processor is someone who in a brainstorm has instant ideas, big ideas, you know, spits them out, 
you know, um, doesn't remember them for long. Okay. And, uh, but, but again, they're great at a brainstorm, right. Or great. in you know, jumping into a new conversation that they, cause they can quickly get in up to speed. Right. The downside of this style, which, which is mine, unfortunately, is <laughs> we tend to not be good listeners. Okay. okay? And cause those ideas are crowding in the back of our head and we ought to get them out. So adaptively we have to learn to A, be active listeners and B, just write things down put them aside and bring them up later. The consider processor is the person you say, are you listening? You know, you don't seem to be engaged in this conversation and they're actually intently listening and they're gathering information and they're tending to like pieces of conversations, but not the whole thing. And they like to go away and build their whole ideas from the bottom up. And of course that's great because they tend to really think through the details. Um, but the downside of that style is that they tend to, once they've built their idea, be really firm on it because they go, I've already done all the trials and errors and, you know, so the, but the two styles work really, really well together. Okay. And then on the flip side, it's whether you are, um, basically a matrix thinker or a linear thinker. So the linear thinker is the person who wants to go straight down the path, doesn't want to deviate till they're done with something and move on to the next thing. You know, God forbid you, you change subjects on where like that. Uh, they're again, can be very efficient, but, uh, under stress, they tend to slow down. They get slower and slower and slower because they just want to get to a, to a finish line. So this is the person that spends a whole day on something that probably shouldn't have taken the whole day if they're under stress. So the matrix thinker, of course, is the multitasker, right? That have 12 desktop, you know, you know windows open on the desktop and, uh, they're great at multitasking, but under stress, the pieces fly, right? Uh-huh. So uh, they, and again, the fast processor and you can tell the matrix thinker oftentimes go together. And so uh, they learn to be great list keepers and, you know, figure a way to create a framework and then build within it. So the net net is that those two different uh, parallels combine. But if you understand this about others, it can really help you communicate with them and work with them. Because, you know, frankly, I build my teams to have that combination. I love having different styles because they do complement each other. And what happens is people adaptively learn to work with other styles. So it's the same thing when you work with new business owners, particularly when, A, when you're communicating at all. So you learn very quickly when you're trying to create a relationship with somebody and works on, on something to understand what their style is. So how to you know, basically adaptively fit into what they're doing, but also really important when there's partners. One of the, my big asset tests in working with a new client and when there's a, when there's partners involved is understand how their relationship is. And that's something you can see pretty early on, the way they communicate when they're presenting a brief or whatever they're, they're kind of doing. And I won't say that we're in the business of, uh, you know, psychology to try to get them to become I, better partners. I, I was going to say, I'm feeling analyzed right now. You're like, okay, I'm digging in and picking you apart. No, I'm just joking. No, but the truth is you there, I mean, the most, you know, sometimes they, wow, we've had a really successful ability of working with this other company. And it's usually because they're functional, right? They work together well. They, they, they respect each other. Um, and when it doesn't work, that's when it's difficult. And that's when it's really, really challenging. So that's a really, you know, great thing for any business owner to think about, you know, is that if you do have partners involved or people that you are, you work with very closely, you know, what is your, how is your relationship and how do you have mutual respect and how do you communicate when you're trying to uh, provide things to others? So, okay. With this whole creative DNA, um, it sounds to me like you've got a very, very dialed in process. 
and you've got a lot of experience doing this. You know, you've been at it for several years. You've had multiple uh, examples, uh, so you've been able to kind of vet some things out. What about the average entrepreneur, the one who is just, you know, kind of being exposed to this level of thinking? Uh, because, I, you know, I've worked with a lot of entrepreneurs that they don't understand the the importance of, you know, assembling the team. Uh, you know, and, and we see this in sports all the time where it's like, look, if they're a good defender, that doesn't make them a, you know, a strong offensive player. And you've got to put them in the, you know, in the right position on the field or else all of a sudden, you know, the, you can take a, an extraordinarily talented player, put them in the wrong place or partner them, you know, pair them with the wrong, uh, you know, support. And all of a sudden they're a bad player. And, you know, and, and so... In this uh, in this space, if you've got an entrepreneur who's kind of just jumping into this, is this something that your team is going to come in and, you know, like the visual brand is going to say, hey, we're going to sit down and we're going to help you identify your creative DNA? Or is this something that, you know, like how, do, how does an entrepreneur get into this and how do they fully leverage uh, this level of thinking? So I guess to answer your question, one of our tasks always is how to make our clients better clients, right? And better communicators. And so everything we do is set up, set them up for success. Mm-hmm. And basically to create a unified language, if you will, to even evaluate things, mm-hmm. right? So even our, our, our brand foundation, which you mentioned sort of our strategic backbone is built to do just that, find that common language. And as a result, it's not something we just, go away and write and come back and say, here it is. Okay. It's something that has to be done very collaboratively in a facilitated way uh, with the client because they need to own it basically. Mm-hmm. And if they don't own it, then it's just a piece of paper. Um, but so that, that's really important. That really does, that does carry over elsewhere because um, you know, and because honestly, you know, uh, companies need to sort of live and breathe and be their brand. Right. And that's everything from, how their customer service people, they have them work with the field, how they communicate anything they're doing from a communication standpoint, how they sell, you know, anything they do. And by the way, and, and it's not one size fits all. Sure. So they have to decide what they are. I mean, really, we've worked with companies who are purposely a little standoffish. Mm-hmm. Okay. They want to be, you know, people to be lured in and there's other ones that need to be the opposite. So that, that is certainly part of our, of what we do. And then even though our real focus is on, you know, the branding element of it, the smart company does see how that carries over elsewhere too and creates more functional relationships. The other thing I I did want to touch on what you said is just really important is, you know, building a, a really functional team, and a right size team is critical, you know, for, for any company, you know, and a lot of times an entrepreneur says, you know, I can actually do everything. Why do I need to have anybody else? You know? <laughs> and, and the reality is because you can't multiply yourself and you can't invent time. Right. Uh-huh. So there's a certain point where you go, you know what, is my time better spent doing something that I really, really do well and I'm passionate about, or just cause I can do it. Should I do all these other things too? Just because I can, doesn't mean I should. Yeah. That's, right. Ooh, that's, that's, that's pretty powerful. Um, okay. So this is, this is something that, uh, is, is kind of floating through my mind right now. You guys are brand specialists. You guys are marketers, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's where I would put it, but I keep hearing this and, and these are my words, not necessarily your words, but I keep hearing this management theme, you know, uh, that, that keeps coming up where, uh, 
it, it it sounds like you guys are very and and I agree with I mean you know so our our brand is marketing management and money we believe that right. you, you got to combine all three you can't just you know if if you put in a, a marketing strategy together but you lack the team or the discipline to execute right. on it I, I don't care how brilliant that marketing strategy is and there could be no fault of the strategy but right. you know and, and, and so I, I really, I, I'm, I'm kind of intrigued by how much I'm hearing that you and your company, um, that you guys like to kind of develop the whole. Uh, and, and, and it sounds to me like you spend a lot of time working with the client to understand what is going on with the client, with the relationships, with the partnerships, uh, and all of those things. Do you feel like, uh, you know, clients get a little frustrated that they're like, Hey, you know, we, uh, you know, we wanted you to come in and do marketing. Why are we talking about culture right now? You know, I mean, what, like what, what's been your experience when, when you work with, with businesses and kind of bring in that, that whole picture. So it's, it's interesting. So absolutely would never label us, uh, um, uh, management, you know, we're, we're not management consultants. Sure. Right? So certainly that is a whole other ball game. However, you know, I also don't, I don't call us an agency even I call us a studio and I call us a branding studio because we're not just creating you know, pretty pictures and saying, here, go, go do, do all that, because it's got to work all the way through a, a company. But what happens naturally when you have a relationship with a company is you do end up playing other roles. Mm-hmm. And certainly when you're dealing with the senior management in the company, or even frankly, uh, anybody, you find a way to help them to be more successful because then ultimately we can be more successful doing what we're doing with them. And it's not just about being ingratiated to them because we've helped them. It's more about saying if they're successful at their job and we've helped them be successful, then we have a lasting relationship. And the best thing a client could say is you've helped me do my job better. Mm-hmm. Okay. That I, you've helped me do my job better. And sometimes that is, you know, Hey, I've got a log jam here at my company. I can't get through we will try to help them solve it. And sometimes it's saying, so it led back to the creative DNA. How does this person or this group, you know, take on decisions? You know, what, what is, what's, what makes it work? What makes it not work? Because again, we can help them get through that long jam that, that it also helps us to be successful with them. So, um, so I, I, I think it's really interesting. And this is one of my favorite examples is uh, the Wright brothers. They worked on bicycles, not airplanes. And, you know, so when, when you said you're like, look, we are not management consultants. Uh, and I'm like, I appreciate that. But at the same token, sometimes it takes someone to come in and look at the company through a branding lens to say, hey, you need to work on some of these other aspects uh, that that are oftentimes going to get ignored or overlooked. Or, or sometimes you get so entrenched in, you know, a traditional way of doing things that it requires, uh, you know, kind of taking a different spin on things to, to break free and, and really start to grow your company. Uh, and so I, I appreciate the perspective. I think, I think it's very intriguing. So, and actually always think that they're running to is always to have permission to do that too. Mm-hmm. So I think I'm always very sensitive to saying, you know, even offering, you know, perspective or advice, it's gotta be welcome and, 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 and either ask for or welcome. And if it's not, you leave it alone, you know, because if it's not what, what you're hired to do. But it's interesting, too, because I've actually, you know, frankly, I still consult 
purely on a friend basis with a number of startups that I've worked with in the past mm -hmm. because we've formed a relationship and now they've moved on and they're doing other things that don't need us at the moment. Um, but again, that's absolutely where it gets into asking questions like this, you yeah. know? Um, and the other really interesting one is when they're looking to get investment too. And that is an action area that we do have uh, some specialty as helping um, companies position themselves for investment, not the financial part. <laughs> they have to do that part themselves, but the rest of it, you know, and even understanding how they present what they are and who they are to an audience to, to get investment. Because it isn't usually just about the numbers, you sure. know, and back to what I said, I'll 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 advise it. Look at if you look like you are a functional company, you have a functional partnership. This company is going to have confidence in you to invest in you. And if they see the opposite, wow, it's a really cool idea, but they're a hot mess. They'll never get out of their own way. Then you're not going to be successful. <laughs> so so how do you tell someone that they're a hot mess? I mean, that's <laughs> that's a difficult conversation to have. And you know, like like what do you do there? I, I'm just curious. So you obviously have to handle it carefully. Sure. You know, but again, it's all about how you ask the questions. And honestly, again, I, you find, you know, we find sometimes when we're having a real difficulty getting a decision that we have to figure out ways to get to that decision. And sometimes it is sort of breaking into that uh, relationship thing. And it's not usually, frankly, directly say, oh, let's work on your relationship. It's more finding a way to facilitate and get to uh, the right kind of conversation. And then when, you know, that happens, you see these little light bulbs go up and go, wow, we just made a decision. That was pretty easy, you know? Um, and then you can, you, then you can give positive reinforcements. Wow, it was great. You guys really respected each other and you listened to each other and it's made our job so easy. So bring it back on us. Thank you. Thank you. Even though they've learned something on their own. So, um, and sometimes that lesson is transparent and sometimes it's not, but sure. either way, if it works, it works. Sure. So I want to shift gears here, uh, and I want to talk about something that I get hit up with all the time. Uh, and, you know, uh, prior to, uh, you know, ju jumping on this interview, you and I were chatting a little bit. And, and that is the uh, social media side of marketing of a company. Um, I feel like so many companies kind of just, uh, you know, they jump into social media, then start swimming around and then question, wait, am I even in the right pool? Uh, and, and I loved some of the things that you were sharing about how you approach social media. So can we shift gears and let's talk about some social media marketing here for a minute. And I'd like to start off with just a high level overview. Uh, you know, how does the visual brand approach this really hot topic? Uh, you know, what are, what are some of the, the foundations that you like to see of a company when they really are getting ready? I mean, everyone's got social media, but some people are doing it right and a lot of people aren't, you know. Right. So what, what needs to be in place to see that success? So for starters, social media today certainly is like a website. You got to have it. Mm. You should have it at some level. But by got to have it doesn't mean you have to have it everywhere depending on what you do. So one of the things we absolutely counsel clients on is that, you know, there are a lot of social media platforms. There are right ones for you and wrong ones for you. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, you know, in simplest terms, you know, Facebook is a community page. Okay. A community platform. People are, they're coming there for community, for communicate and connection. Twitter is a news topical platform. Mm -hmm. So unless you're something topical or newsworthy, you don't necessarily need to be on Twitter. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, LinkedIn, fabulous B2B, right? People are on there for business conversations. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if you're just looking to have a warm and fuzzy community thing, you could do it there, but it's not really why you're using LinkedIn, mm-hmm. right? And then Pinterest and um, Instagram are interest-based. So that's the way pe- reason. So you always say, well, why are people coming here? You know, and if you can figure out the right way for your business to do that, then it's the right place to be. But it's always always easy to be on the wrong place. And the same thing is the thing. Oh my God, I got to post every two days or every five days. Blah, blah, blah. The reality is like, you know, you should post as frequently as you have something to say. Okay. Because, uh, and, and something that, that's meaningful to put out there because no one is saying, oh my God, I haven't seen from this company in seven days and I'm going to ignore them now. But if there's something interesting, then, then put it out there. So, um, so it's really being, you absolutely need to have a presence. And then, and some means you need to work at it, but, um, but be really mindful of where it is and how you do it. And, uh, um, you know, we get hired to help people sometimes do their social media. I don't claim to be a social media company, although we certainly know how to do it, mm-hmm. but, um, uh, done correctly. It's something that usually comp- a lot of companies can do on their own. So, okay. We're going to get to that, but I, I, I gotta, I gotta hit the elephant in the room. You know, I, every, everyone's been talking about, you know, Facebook has had some pretty negative news coming out, uh, is now the time to abandon ship? Do do you know? Do do I pull my business off of Facebook because of everything that's going on? Uh, you know, I was reading a report that uh, they did a survey, and they said that uh, it was seventy one percent of people surveyed uh, thought that Facebook and Twitter were doing more harm than good, and, and you know, I mean, that's those are some things that as an entrepreneur you're looking at it and you're like. Ah, do I want my brand associated with all of this negativity? Uh, you know, and so how how does a small business who pretty much just kind of gets caught up in the whirlwind of this, how do they how do they navigate this? How do they keep their brand intact despite a, a lot of negativity going on uh, in social media and in the news? So for, for starters, I think. Uh, Facebook and Twitter have billions of followers and people, and they have still very strong traffic. Mm -hmm. And I don't think there's a huge danger for you being um, aligned with Mark Zuckerberg's point of view if you're on Facebook, you Mm -hmm. know, or Jack Dorsey for Twitter. Okay. Uh, The reality is that if you feel, you know, politically that you need to stay off of it because you just don't, don't believe it and so much you shouldn't do it, don't do it. But the reality is that they're, they're, they're content platforms and what you do there is really up to you. And it's not going to be a reflection of what you, your alignment with, with, with the brand. Mm -hmm. Okay. But they're still very, very big vehicles. So again, if if you feel very strong conviction that it's a personal choice, then don't do it. Okay. Like anything, but it's not like putting yourself on Donald Trump's website or it's not making that kind of a statement. Okay. Um, but But the other part of those, like in Facebook, particularly, you know, Facebook is gentrified. And so it's, it, you know, 10 years ago, even it was like, oh, we want to get young audiences go on Facebook. Well, that's not so true anymore. Not that they're not on it, but they're not on it as much because there are other platforms have superseded it and, and, and find, uh, found ways to get there. So you just have to know what you're doing and why you're there. So, 
Okay, that brings up an interesting point because I feel like a lot of businesses are trying to chase a demographic. TikTok is kind of the rising star right now. And you hear constantly like, well, if you're trying to sell to a younger audience, you have to be on TikTok. They've all left Facebook. They're leaving Instagram. TikTok is where you have to be if you want to hit that younger audience. And kind of the the idea is that, you know, you've got to reinvent yourself and change platforms every couple of years because that's where the audience is moving. Uh, can you validate that? You know, what is, is that really the, the strategy? You know, do I need to just completely abandon Facebook and jump onto TikTok or, or you know, uh, give up Instagram and, you know, like, what are your thoughts on that? It, it all, again, all depends on what you're selling. I'm not a huge fan of TikTok from a commercial standpoint because, Eight people on there purely for entertainment. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if you're showing something that isn't purely entertainment, then they're going, ah, it's an ad. Because uh, I'm not there to be interested in anything else. And also it's very fleeting. So if you can communicate your thing in five seconds and it's entertaining, okay. And if you can do it and it's entertaining and it has anything to do with your business, great, be there. And if you're also your audience is very young, you know, it's a Gen Z or like a so good. Not that that's the only audience, but that's predominantly what it is. Sure. So yeah. I would evaluate these more on what kind of quality message could you put up there? And is the audience there going to be receptive to seeing a message from me? Mm -hmm. You know, and even Instagram, honestly, which didn't start out as much, has become better and better that way. Um, there's more stop and pause. There's more capabilities. Uh, people are spending a little bit uh, longer on it. Uh, Facebook, more to sometimes they can do it. But like anything else, you know, the kinds of media changes. So like even in our business, we got really, really developed our motion team and, and video teams because honestly video and motion are more engaging and pull people in and communicate faster. And so that's even better than pictures. Right. Okay, so, you, so you also know the right kinds of mediums. So, so I got to show my ignorance here because I don't understand the distinction between video and motion. And you kind of uh, said it differently. Uh, like what? What? what, what? So, so motion based is animation. Oh, so, okay. okay. And it's just, you know, I a lot of times I'll call it, well, industry term would be motion because uh, it's not cartoons, right? <laughs> it's animated text. It's I mean, infographics. Uh, it's, it's, you know, whatever that is, it turns out products, we do a lot of 3d rendering of products and they're animated and turns they have motion and it's more engaging, frankly. And cause again, still, still digital and people still have a relatively low, um, tolerance for getting into something and seeing something. And if, it, if it's interesting to look at, they'll, they'll pay more attention. Okay. So the other one really, real powerful part about motion infographics is that, people really absorb things visually very, very uh, well and fast. So if you can create a visual language with infographics, you can sometimes communicate something that's fairly dense that someone wouldn't read and absorb, especially on a website. Sure. But you show, it to them, show them in an infographic way, they will. This is, again, by the way, we do a lot of things for Amazon for people because, frankly, a infographic and an animated piece there People are browsing through Amazon. Look at they'll look at it and they'll get more out of it than reading your whole list of you know features and benefits. Mm -hmm. So it's how people absorb information. Okay, okay. So um, we, uh, we 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 we've covered a lot, and we're going to kind of wrap up uh, here with uh, with with a few thoughts. But this is this is what I would like to have you touch on, and and that is there is so much to marketing branding 
you know, I mean, even when I just asked that simple question about motion, you kind of went off and you're like, okay, you know, so here's for your Amazon and, you know, your e-commerce and, and, and it, it so quickly becomes overwhelming. And I see this analysis paralysis that, uh, you know, kind of just captures these entrepreneurs and paralyzes them to where they, 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 they can't move anymore because there's, there's always a new platform. There's always something I should be doing better. I mean, I struggle with that in, in my business where, you know, I've had people that they'll reach out to me and they're just like, well, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing this? And I'm just like, well, you know what? Because I am not infinite and uh, I enjoy spending time with my family. That's basically what it boils <laughs> down to, you know? And, and, and so what would you say to so, so I, I, I want to have two questions here. Number one is how do you pare it down to something that is manageable? Uh, because I, I believe that that's something that you guys are really good at is, uh, is is taking it and saying, look, let's let's make it manageable. Let's make it effective. Um, you know, so so how would you how would you pare it down is, is number one. And then number two is kind of where, uh, you know, how, how do businesses get, get started into it? And, and I guess started is a little bit misleading because everyone's already doing something to some extent. But I, when I say started, I'm like, how do they get started on the right path rather than just, you know, I, I like to hike a lot and I picture that, uh, you know, it's sort of like I can just wander around aimlessly in some, you know, barren wastelands and, and call that a hike. Or, I could end up at a beautiful trailhead, follow the hike, and 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 go to a fabulous destination. That to me is getting started. So, so can you kind of touch on uh, you know on those two things of like how do you boil it down to be effective, and how do you find you know the the right place to to get started? So it boils down to something I'm going to quote my church right: time, talent, and treasure. Okay. Okay. So it's the time you have available. It's the resources you have financially to do it. And it's the people who can actually make it, get it done for you. Mm -hmm. So the reality is I think absolutely you should constantly experiment with things, but you can't do everything. Okay. Sure. So the way experiment things think, okay, this is interesting. Let's try this for a little bit and see if it has any traction. Not let's try these 12 things. That's where it gets overwhelming. And also don't change something if it's working. Just because you go, oh, my God, there's something new. But, oh, this is working for us pretty well. Oh, but there's something new. No. If it's working, keep using what's working and making it better mm-hmm. and optimizing it. Uh, because, you know, it, just because it's a shiny new penny in the corner doesn't mean that you have to follow it. You know, so it's really doing the right things. You know, that's something else that actually I learned long ago that I try to follow, too, is that especially as an entrepreneur, you feel like you've got to work 24-7. Give yourself permission every day to stop and say, you know what? I'm done with everything I'm going to get done today. And I'm good with that. Okay. And when I go to bed tonight and I'm not going to think about it all night, because even at night things rolling in your head to go, I can't do anything about this today or tonight. I can do it tomorrow. And, and so that's, so, you know, that way you, you wake up refreshed and then you tackle it the new day. So, so many people have, uh, you know, this false badge of honor, that like, oh yeah, you know, I mean, I'll check my email at two in the morning and I'm like, don't be proud of that. That's, that's a terrible habit. You know, I mean, that that's like saying, yeah, I, I drink so much that, uh, that I'm puking. And I'm like, well, you know, I, I, I don't know that that's something to be proud of. <laughs> that's exactly right. You know, honestly, it's funny when occasionally, and I do tend to stop looking at emails at, a, uh, uh, probably 
when I get home, I'll look at it a little bit, but I do have to stop. But if, if I ever do respond to something, I've got a little trick, which is the scheduled send, which then goes out the next morning. And that's for two reasons. Number one is not to give somebody the feeling of, oh, he's responding an e- email at nine o'clock at night. And so I guess I'll email at nine o'clock at night. Uh-huh. But even more importantly, the reality is that an email that you respond to at nine o'clock at night is already going to be buried in the 400 emails someone gets in the morning. Better to have it in their inbox first thing in the morning. So good old scheduled sent. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay, so that that's kind of uh, you know some some great insight on how to kind of pare it down. Uh, l- let's talk about where to start. Where to where, where, where to start? So if I'm if I'm oh, an, if I'm an yeah. entrepreneur and I'm thinking to myself, okay, I I'm ready to actually do something. I'm ready to start doing this right. correctly. Um, you know where where do I get started? What do I jump in with? So again, where we tell any company is to, is that we said your foundation, your brand foundation. And like I said, for us, they're just simple building blocks. But this came out of uh, years early in my career of being a brand manager and writing brand plans that no one looked at that were 8,000 pages long um, that uh, were worthless. So these should just be very short and tight and should understand again, what are the real key fundamentals of your business? You know, what are your, you know, functional, emotional drivers. What, what is behind you? Who is your audience? What's your, as they say, your elevator pitch? What mm-hmm. is that one sentence? Why is this for because? You know, what's your rally cry? Or we call it unifying idea. Sometimes it's your tagline, but whatever it is, there's something that you stand behind. So these elements are things that, you know, frankly, this is not almost anything we do. We really make sure that companies have this because, again, that helps them understand what they need and how they want to communicate. And that's really the starting point. And really, you know, truthfully, probably a very early part of this and something we do is to understand either what makes you different than anybody else in your field, okay. or if you're not entirely different, how can you still win? Okay. okay. How can you still win? And again, maybe look at, you know, there's five people doing exactly what I do, but what is, you know, the piece that's going to make me different? It may not be in my offering, it might be in something else. It might be in my story. It might be in, in, in some other way. And that's the way you, you can also win. Um, and the last thing I will say, and this is sort of somewhat related, but it's a very big part of our business, is the power of referral. So 95% of our business uh, has always been referral. Sure. And referral can come in many different ways. You know, a former client, some of you know, blah, blah, blah. that's incredibly powerful. And by the way, this is one of the strengths of the LinkedIn platform as well. But referral is a really, really key thing to lean on because um, you, you can get in and create something through referral, um, you're better off. Yeah. No, I love it. I love it. So, Let's do a little bit of a referral right now. If someone listening to this program wants to connect with the visual brand, what is the best way to uh, get a hold of you to uh, find out more? Uh, what's your contact information? So our website is thevisualbrand.com. And I'm Randy, R-A-N-D-Y, at thevisualbrand.com. Sweet. That is easy enough. 
Well, Randy, this has been awesome. Uh, some great right. insights, uh, wonderful, wonderful discussion. And uh, I, I totally appreciate you being on the show. Thank you so much. So we will put in the description, we'll put that contact information. If any of you guys, uh, any of the uh, entrepreneurs listening, if you guys want to connect with the visual brand, if you really want to improve your brand, if you want to uh, improve your uh, creative DNA, uh, so many things that uh, that you can be doing and, and working with. And so uh, with that, Randy, thank you again. Appreciate having you on the show. And uh, we will go ahead and wrap it up. This has been an interview with Marketing Management and Money with uh, Randy from The Visual Brand. Take control of your business today. Go to learndesk.us and search Marketing Management and Money for the small business insights you've always wanted. Be sure to stay tuned for new episodes on the first and third Wednesdays of every month and make sure to subscribe to be notified when we release bonus content such as interviews and short discussions.